You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I want you to turn to Joshua 24 again. We've been in this chapter for a little while. We'll, we'll wrap it up next week as we kind of tail and, and transition into that season of Advent, of Christmas. But if you turn in your Bibles, Joshua 24, you can turn to verse 14. We're going to be really looking at 16 to 28 today. Uh, you can turn there. Uh, we've got a picture here. We've got it up there from Weston, right? Weston drew this for me last week, and I got a, I got a, a plethora, a good amount of you guys drawing pictures. I really appreciate it. So thank you for drawing them on those clipboards and turn them in. Uh, Weston's got, I asked him about this, and we were talking about the Israelites at the crossing the Red Sea that had crossed the divided sea and it had come back upon the Egyptians who had followed them in, and they, they saw the Egyptians lying on the seashore. He said one of those is a cart over here on the, the left side, and they feared the Lord. And we were talking about fear of the Lord, and they saw God's mighty works and feared the Lord. So appreciate, Weston, for that picture that you turned in. Let me uh, turn to our text. Let's read it together. Listen to God's word first, and then few words to comment and look at it as we go here. So starting in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land, Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Let's pray again. (coughs) Lord, we come to you, many of us dealing, Lord, with physical sickness this week. Lord, I pray for endurance to 
to study your word and to work through this passage today. Lord, physical is just such a side part, Lord. We need spiritual endurance and spiritual work, Lord, by your spirit in our hearts to hear this passage and hear hear the people crying out, we will serve, and hear Joshua saying they're not able. Lord, help us to understand this rightly, and then, Lord, help us to apply it in our lives as we walk with Christ. And what does this look like for us here, 2019? So guide us as we, again, work through this. May your Holy Spirit work amongst us that your name would be exalted, you the great giver of all things. And I ask this in your name. Amen. I have one more picture to put up here by way of getting into this passage. It's not in there. Well, okay. There it is. So it, it left us. That's okay. So if you, you, some of you have maybe seen this picture. And the, I can describe it. You'll see it probably better than the picture would show it. You've got, if you, you know some of those hills, when you get close to the ocean, the hills sometimes get steep. And, and there's a hill that's super steep that goes down, kind of this paved road that goes down to the ocean. And then there's kind of a dock that goes out there. Can you kind of get the visual of it? Uh, you can see this, this big paved road that goes down. At the top, so you're kind of up, up above on this hill looking down. And at the top... Maybe you've seen this. You've got a little boy standing at the top, and, and the little boy is not just on his feet. He's got his foot up on a skateboard, a little skateboard. And you see this behind picture of this boy and the skateboard and this incredibly long, well, not super long, but super steep hill going down. And every parent's thinking, this is not going to end well. This won't happen. Well, there it is. Okay. How did I do? It's close. Is that what you had in your mind? Maybe. Okay. You got an idea. That's, this is a little bit of us looking at this chapter, 24. We're looking at Israel here, and you heard him again and again. We'll serve. We'll serve. You hear Joshua. You're not able to serve. No, we're going to. We're going to do it. <clears throat> and we're kind of looking at them going, no, we've read the rest of the Old Testament. It's not going to happen. We know kind of the story of how it's going to go. But we're seeing them at this phase, kind of that, it's that back and forth. And that's what you see throughout this passage, kind of a back and forth of Joshua. He's calling them, choose this day who you're going to serve. I'm going to serve the Lord. And then they say, and we'll look at our first part, far be it from us. So that's kind of what we're, we're looking at as we come into this. So let's head back to our text, verse 16. Thanks for finding that. Good work back there. Uh, As we come into our text, verse 16, this is their answer. So Joshua has laid it out, some of those famous words. If we said, these are the most well-known words of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, or or the title of the sermon, choose this day whom you will serve. Verse 16, then the people answered to this, this call, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sight, preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples and the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he he is our God. They're kind of just echoing what Joshua's already laid out for them in verses 1 through 13 saying "We, we know. But they respond just in sort of an unusual way. Instead of them agreeing with Joshua, you know, so Joshua says, as for me and my house, instead of them saying, 
as for our house, we're going to serve them. They respond with this idea of kind of how, how would you think we wouldn't? Far be it from us. We, how do you even think to call us? Of course we would serve the Lord is the seeming attitude behind it. Almost kind of chiding Joshua that we would never do this. Well, we, we know we're looking and we go, yeah, you would. There's a whole history there. But verse 17 and 18, that's their reasoning. We've seen God. And, and they're saying what they have seen, that's why. So all they've seen, what God has done, that they seem confident. We've seen him work. That's what the verses are telling us. We've seen God at work. We've seen him do all these things. And so, so in their remembrance, how they remember what God has done, that's going to carry them through. Oh, we, we've seen him. We're, we know this, and so we will. Kind of fast forward to even us thinking of Thanksgiving even this week. It's a wonderful time to remember God's work in our lives past past years, this past year. But even uh, last week I mentioned this, how hard it is even to remember month by month or day by day what God has done because we forget quite easily. And it's kind of, I mean, that's, I think that's partly why we worry so much. We forget so much, right? If we remembered all those times where we prayed and God has provided and he's been faithful and then we find ourselves worrying again, going, he just provided the week prior and we forget. And so remembrance on its own, memory alone, won't suffice to keep one from serving other gods. Now, I'm not saying memory is bad. God commends us to remember. We celebrate communion, the remembrance of what Christ has done. And God urges the people of Israel to remember and us. But again, memory alone, just on its own, without a regenerated heart, will not suffice. It will not carry us to the call of serving the Lord. So the conclusion, based on all of what they've seen, they conclude, us too, Joshua, we're going to serve the Lord. Well, Joshua gives his reply in the next two verses, verse 19. And these are where, if you're reading thoughtfully and we come against these, we go, all of a sudden this passage kind of, it's, it's kind of jolting. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. I'm going to assume, and I, and I think the text would kind of bear this out, assume this is not what Israel wanted to hear. Uh, maybe they would have preferred from Joshua, oh, you're going to serve? Great. I, this is a great decision. I'm glad you've made that decision. Instead, what they, what they hear is, you are not able to serve the Lord. And I, I think Joshua knew better. He, he knew what they were saying, but he knew he'd been there since the exodus and the wilderness. He knew their heart. But the text says he also knew something of God. Those, those things there, God's holiness, his jealousy. He knew those things of who God is. So what does it mean here that God is, is holy? <clears throat> One writer talks about God's holiness as being uh, distinct from the common or profane. He's, he's distinct. We use words like set apart, that sort of idea. 
Here's what another writer says of God's holiness. It's, it's particularly associated with his majesty, sovereignty, and awesome power as the one who is supreme over all. He is transcendent, exalted, and different from everything he has made. He cannot be compared with the gods of the nations or be judged by human standards. God alone is holy in himself. An important dimension to God's separateness and distinctness is his moral purity and perfection. So this God, Joshua is calling Israel to fear and worship. He's a holy, pure, set-apart, awesome, majestic God. Different than any common thing. But he's also described here, he's a holy God. He is a jealous God. And the word used here, I think, of jealousy carries with it ideas based in the marriage relationship where jealousy would be aroused because of marital unfaithfulness. And so you'd find adultery in, in uh, wife or whatever, and it's a punishable offense. This jealousy carries with it, this jealousy of this unfaithfulness carries with it, at least in, in the idea here, of a punishable wrath for unfaithfulness. That there's a wrathful jealousy. And I think that's the sense here as God, he's a husband in a sense to Israel. In his jealousy, he represents both punishment and wrath for the adulterous affair of his people who serve other gods. So they're wed in a sense to their God. This is that covenant ceremony. And they go off to other gods, and he's jealous, and with that brings a punishable offense of wrath of God towards his people. Now, that's not all there is to God's jealousy, because he calls out his wayward people in, it, in his jealousy, I think, by his grace, and calls us back. But I think in the context, the message, it's clear. Israel, do you know, I mean, Joshua's kind of just stopped. Do you know who you're committing, who you're talking Dude, this is a holy God. He's jealous. You say, I'm going to serve him. Watch out, because you're saying you're going to be faithful to him. He's jealous for his people. But then, if we read further in that text, excuse me. <coughs> All right, I need a mute button on here. Then he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. And we, we pause at this point that we know God. He's a forgiving God. He, he forgives sin. Where is this? What's this coming from? What's going on here? I thought he was a loving God. Well, you're right. He is. But what else is he? What Joshua just said, he's holy and he's, he's jealous. One commentator makes a helpful comment here, Richard Hess. He says, Joshua's warning that God will not forgive Israel's sin has been described as perhaps the most shocking statement in the Old Testament. The plural pronoun, that means suffixes, that means he will not forgive your, that's, that's y'all in a Texas way of saying it, right? That's he will not forgive your, your all transgressions or your all sins. There's a plurality to these pronouns here. Um, he says those, uh, the plural pronoun suffixes attached to your rebellion and your sins suggests that all Israel is intended. As with the Canaanites, God will not overlook the sins of a nation, 
Judgment will come to a sinning nation despite the repentance of some. And I think what he's trying to get at here, and I see, is the national effect of sin. They would not be forgiven. Punishment would come for Israel nationally as they sinned before a holy God. And there was consequences. But we also know from Scripture the attitude of God to a repentant people. So we use the whole counsel of Scripture. We've got this this seemingly shocking verse here. Here's some other counsel. Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Isaiah 57. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. Okay? It says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. To sin and to live loose and so serve other little g gods is to presume upon God's kindness, a kindness meant to lead us to repentance. And so where there is adultery of one's heart, that factory of idols, as it's called, all the while, so having idols, all the while assuming God's love, he's going to forgive. I can go do this thing. I know God. He's loving. He'll forgive. It's okay to go make idols or whatever sin there is. That, I think, is the flavor of, no, it's not. He will not forgive that hard attitude. What he looks for is one of contrite heart, of repentance, a broken heart of sin. Israel's response here, I mean, you've got another response in the Scriptures. Maybe you're thinking of it, Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. There's this moment he sees it and really brings a curse on himself, says, woe is me. So there's an attitude of the people of Israel. Far be it from us. We got this. We'll serve him. Well, he's holy. We're going to see. We'll serve him. You sure? Yep. Or, oh, my, he's holy. How, How can I? Kind of what we were talking about last week as well. Let's look at verse 20, 21. Because here's, here's their response. People said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Again, rather than like Isaiah in humility, cry out, What do we do? They, and I, I think we hear the subtleness. It's not listed here, but we hear this pride of self. I can do this. Right? Yes, we can do this. The fact is, they would, as we talked about, they're going to go. And they're going to serve other gods. And yet their mindset here is that could never happen. Not Joshua. We've seen him. We've done all this. We're going to remember. It's okay. We see it in Jesus' disciples. We looked at that last week with Peter, but all spoke on the night that Jesus was betrayed. betrayed. They all spoke. They agreed. We're not going to abandon you, Jesus. We're with you to the end. And by the same night, they have all fled. It's that same trust. I can do this on my own. God calls me to serve. I, I will do it. Now, he does call us, and we are to serve, but there's deeper things New Testament will show us. But we see this back and forth here in this passage, and then we get to that of Joshua calling them out as witnesses here. Verse 22, 
Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. You, you've all spoken these words. God, we will serve. So it's been heard. Everybody's heard this, what you've said. If in the future you serve other gods, what you have said is going to come back against you. You've said it. It's a witness against you. And, and they seem to respond. That's what Scripture tells us. We're witnesses. And so Joshua calls them to action. Look at verse 23. Okay, you're witnesses. He said, then. Then, here's some things. Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, <coughs> the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. William still makes the case here, and I, and I can see it, that Israel, even though Joshua, what did he just tell him? Put away your foreign gods. Put them away. He, he makes the case here, Israel, even though they've heard that, they never, in fact, carried it out really to totality. They never put them all away. And they were drawn into a sort of syncretism. Syncretism, kind of this, this mixing of religions. God, he took us through the wilderness. He took us through uh, the Red Sea. He's done all these things. We want God, we'll serve him. And we'll also take the other gods over here that are also good and they can help our crops and, and all sorts of things. We want both. We want a little bit of everything. That's kind of syncretism, this mixing. It's having God, and, and William still talks about, and still having your, your pet diversions, as he calls them, your little things, your diversions from wholly following the Lord, your little foreign gods in your life that you serve and you want and bring you ultimate enjoyment. He says it's our private pet diversions that drive us away from the Lord. Uh, he says there is no doubt in the world that nominality is the ruin of God's church. He's talking about nominal Christianity. Nominal Christianity. Kind of, kind of dipping that toe maybe in that ocean where the boy was. Kind of dipping your toe into the ocean of following God. A toe in. Sounds good. Sunday, I'm motivated. All right, we're singing. Tunes, they sound good, whatever. I'm, I'll take it. But there's a whole other foot that says, but I still want this because it brings me enjoyment too. And when I'm tired or when I'm sick or I need this thing and it gives me that. That's kind of that idea of in and out of nominal Christianity. And so the call here on Israel and us is put them away. Put away the foreign gods in your own heart. I love what... Uh, I'll share. William still, he, I was listening to him. It's a tape. He's a Scottish guy, so he's got this. I can do it better with a lower voice today, but, he, you know, the father, the, the God, he talks about God and, and these things. And, and he says uh, in here, he says, uh, my pet diversions are my own business. They're none of your business, but you have your own. And we do, each of us. And he's saying, I've got them. I have them. As your pastor, you have them. What diversions are there? that keep us from following all the way fully in the Lord. Put them away. Don't let them mix and so pollute your worship. So 
He's called them to serve the Lord. He gives them ample warning. The people seem to persist. Yes, we will serve the Lord. And they respond, I think it's three times if I've counted right. And so Joshua then makes or cuts this covenant on that day. We'll read the last verses here. Verse 25. Here now is the covenant. (coughs) So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. I, I don't know if we'll get to this next week, but there is, there's been another case, and it was Jacob, I believe, that also put away foreign gods under perhaps the same terebinth tree. This is a place of historical significance. Abraham has been here as well. But there's a stone. He sets it up under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. In verse 27, And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. And so Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Thus, this covenant ceremony, it's it's sealed with with words and a witness here. The words, there's words and stipulations of the covenant, they're written down. I think it's interesting, God uses language, he uses words. We have continuing his written word. And I don't know all the connections, but we celebrate the word who became flesh, Jesus maker of a better covenant. But God continues to use words and He continues to use the words of Scriptures to show us our need, our sin, and the solution for that need. And then you also have a a stone there. And we're used to this coming all through the book. A stone, again, another witness. It's been used. It's actually, I think, the seventh time a stone has been set up here in this book that we've been in. And it acts as a a physical witness to the covenant ceremony. So the words of God, serve me only. The words of Israel, we will serve the Lord. And this place is a witness against them. If they deal falsely, if they're unfaithful, it's a witness. This place, it says, do you remember what you, what you said and what you promised, what you spoke? Well, we're going to wrap up Joshua next week, like I said, and look at some of these last verses, kind of a postscript, kind of a what happens. We, we know in some ways the rest of the story, but we come away from this passage. Again, we're, we're, we've got the as for me and my house and choose this day and we're, we're kind of revved up and we should be to serve the Lord. And but we've also got this kind of back and forth. He's holy. You can't serve him. Yeah, no, we're going to. Yeah. All this kind of back and forth. What's needed here, what is needed, and it's something better. We can see, as I talked about, we can see this train of Israel derailing before it's ever left the station. We go, it's not going to take too long. We know their story. And we know the story of Israel. But to bring it to us, we also know our story. We know our times of worship and praise to the Lord. And then we know our other times where we've just done that. James talks about the tongue. You, you praise the Lord with your tongue, and then you curse others with it. 
We know our hearts. So, a couple things. We, like Israel, we need an ability we do not possess. Israel, you are not able. So we need an ability, something, but we don't possess it in and of ourselves. And we, like Israel, we're prone to not put away the foreign gods, to play with them, bring them out, put them away at times, but hold on to them, bring them back out, that sort of thing. Whether it's money or pride, all those sorts of things. And then we, like Israel, we need a covenant built on a better, a better stone. As we often do, I want you to turn to the New Testament. We've looked at this passage before, but turn to the book of 1 Peter. I think there's, um, in some ways, how do we sum this up? It's almost, just read the whole New Testament, because Jesus comes. But there's places, and so perhaps this will be helpful as it's fresh in our minds, thinking about, yes, serve the Lord. He's holy. Serve Him. We want to serve Him. You're not able to. This idea, what do we need? So the first one, if you turn to 1 Peter 1, Chapter 1, verse 3. The first talked about we, like Israel, we need an ability we do not possess. We need to be able to do something Joshua told the people of Israel you're not able to do. And these are even the people of Israel that, I mean, they were the first to get the Ten Commandments. They've seen God with their eyes in action in all these places. They've seen it. We're even removed from that. And they didn't have an ability. What's our hope? We need an ability we don't possess. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And just hear these words. We who want to strive to serve the Lord in our own merits. It says this inheritance, this imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance, it's kept in heaven for you who? So this is who are you? You have been born again who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You've been born again and He guards you. His power is at work in your life, through trials, circumstances, to grow you, to sanctify you. He is at work as you work out your salvation, as Philippians talks about. God must do the work. He must make one able, and he does through the rebirth of the Spirit. Look a little further in First Peter 1. Go to verse 14. Verse 14 through 16, because we, like Israel, said, we're prone to not put away the foreign gods. So is there a call in us? Oh, we're born again. Awesome. Don't have to worry. But truly born again, we're going to say, the Lord is holy. What do we do as children of God? Verse 14, 1 Peter 1. As obedient children, but there's two wonderful words to hold together. As obedient children. Your child of grace, be obedient. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, i.e., for our context today, your little foreign gods. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also 
be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What does God call born again people to? He calls them to holiness. So we can look back in Joshua 24 and say, yes, by God's enabling grace, I will serve you, Lord. And when we fail, we are contrite. We don't say he'll just overlook that. We're contrite in our heart because we've been born again to see his holiness and to live for him. And lastly, we like Israel, we need a covenant built on a better stone, a better stone. If you just keep going, 1 Peter 1, uh, no, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Now, it talks about a living stone here. I'm not connecting one for one, stone in the Old Testament, that stone, this is Jesus. But it's interesting language just as we're thinking about stones in general and the better stone that is Jesus. <coughs> Listen to this as we start in verse 4 of 1 Peter 2, and I'll read through 10. As you come to him, who's the him? The Lord Jesus. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. There's hope here for us that read a passage to obey and serve God, acceptable to God, but the hope funnels to Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession. You see what God has done? He's brought you out. He's called you out as he called Abraham away from the foreign gods, as he's calling Israel away from the foreign gods. He's chosen you who see Christ and your need for him. He's chosen you to come. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, and we've read this before, that you may proclaim, I did this all. This is pretty good what I have done and accomplished in my life. It's not what the scripture says. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray together. Father, all glory goes to you and this this verse says it. We are saved to boast not in anything we've done. It is your work And Lord, you will carry us to the end as you're faithful to those you've called. Father, there's those here in this place, Lord, that are are wondering where they're at with a holy God. When they think of holy God, they think of fear, like scared fear. They see you for your holiness. I pray, Lord, in repentance and faith, they would come to Jesus. Trusting you, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me from my sin. Lord, guide us. Lord, help each one of us. 
I dare say many of us, most all of us here would say, we want to serve the Lord. That's what we want to do. And we've got these idols hanging around. And it seems like we keep falling on our face. Lord, may that falling bring us to Jesus. May Satan not get any footholds by saying, you've fallen too far. May we, with contrite hearts, come back to you, Lord. Come back to the gospel of Jesus, the good news, the word of truth, that you have died. You have taken on the wrath we deserved. And by your wounds, we're healed. So we thank you for this gift of grace on us. May we live like the holy children you've called us to be, Lord. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.